0: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was gonna tell. It when, when uh when Seth mentioned about being in trouble, and I go, I, am the perfect husband. I never get in trouble with my wife, right? I don't need that. And everyone's gonna look for Deborah, but she had to run somewhere. And she loves the fact that everyone looks at her when I mention mention her. Um, Uh, see how she responds. Um, So uh, football season really kicks off today. Big day, big day, you know, and for the fantasy draft, I hope things are going, or not the draft, the fantasy teams. I already am starting on a negative. I had a decision between Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen and I figured, hey, Josh Allen's playing the Rams, you know, good defense. I'll go with Pat Mahomes and then Josh Allen throws four touchdowns. I'm already behind. I know nobody cares. Don't you care? Don't you care about my fantasy team? Um, all right. So we're going to talk about Genesis. Um, and I'm really actually excited about Trunk or Treat. I'm really excited that we're going to come back because I remember what it was the first year and we had such an, so many people and we'd still not have prepared. And I remember Todd constantly having to go get more candy and come back again. And it was, it was a great event. And I think, I think it really shows where people are. And people really just want a safe environment for their children um, to come and just have a good time. It's a great event. All right. So we're going to jump in here on Genesis um, and um, our passage. We're looking at a couple of chapters on a little bit about Joseph and a little bit about Judah. Um, let's, let's open it with prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to study your word, Lord, and, and uh, just learn uh, from you, Lord, about um, our relationship with you and, and where you are, are leading us And really leading, uh, you know, the entire, uh, leading, you know, where your plan is going, Lord. Let's pray that you bless our time, uh, bless our study in your name, Jesus. We pray, Amen. Um, When we left off, I think last time, last week, um, Jacob had finally made it to uh, Canaan to live with his father Isaac, Uh, and then sometime after that, it says that he passed away and was gathered to his people, as the term goes, or the phrase. Um, the Bible tells us that he was 180 years old when he passed away, and he was buried by Jacob and um, uh, Esau. Now, where our story picks up today, it's, the focus is now shifting to his children. Um, and that, particularly, the strife that was building up between all of his, all of his kids. Um, and actually, it was more strife between one of them and everyone and all the other brothers. Uh, and in keeping with his form, Jacob really didn't do a lot to help uh, to, to, to deal with the strife between his children. Um, and I kind of broken up our, our look at these, uh, these passages in kind of three separate sections. One being, you know, jo- Joseph in that crazy coat, right? Joseph in his near-death experience, and then Judah in his, the road to redemption. Looking at... Um, Joseph and his crazy garden. We pick up the focus on Joseph. Now, who is Joseph? He's the 11th son of Jacob. His mother was uh, Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. Uh, <clears throat> and then Rachel had one more child after that, Benjamin, and then she passed away. Our story begins, though, Joseph is 17 years old. The Bible tells us <clears throat> that he tended the flocks with his brothers. Um, and actually, the interesting, the Bible says, well, he tended the flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, you know, the wives of Jacob. And it seems to be that, I guess, they still kind of separate that a little bit. You know, you have, you, have, you know, uh, the children of his wives and then, then the children of the maidservants. Somehow they separate that out. But right out of the gate, we learn about strife between Jacob and his brothers. He uh, goes out with his brothers and provides, says it provides a bad report uh, to his dad. Uh, now, we're not told what, that, what they were doing. Perhaps they were laying down on the job or they weren't doing a good job or they weren't supposed to doing what they weren't supposed to or being uh, abusing staff or being mean to staff or, you know, roaming on other people's lands. We don't know. Um, and a lot we don't know about Joseph's character at this point. You know, was he just, you know, the bratty little brother who tattled on his, on his older brothers or was he just really honest and a little naive? I mean, that will play out later on, but we just don't know. Now, Jacob, who is now actually known as Israel, um, does not help the situation. The Bible tells us that Israel loves Joseph more than any of the other brothers. Now, as a parent, you know, I try to love each one of my boys equally. Now, I'm told that that can be difficult because your children are different. Maybe a better way of loving your children is is to love them individually, I guess, differently. Because um, everyone is unique. Now, I imagine with 12 plus children, it would be really hard for Israel to love each one equally. But he doesn't really even seem to try to help, right? Um, so, uh, as the Bible tells us, that he loved Joseph more than any of the other sons. We're also told... That he loved him so much because he was born in his old age. Oliver, I always think that the fact that he was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel that also played into it. Um, now we're told that Israel uh, <coughs> makes Joseph this ornate robe or coat. Uh, it depends on your translation. when it says it's a coat of colors or many colors. Um, and as if you grew up in Sunday school, we all know this story, right? I know this story because at some point there was some activity where you were handed something and you got to draw the colors of the many coat, right? So we're not, I, you know, actually looking. I'm not sure exactly, but it was a nice, it was a nice tunic or coat or overcoat or robe. <clears throat> when the brothers see this, though, they're not happy. Um, they see that Israel, uh, <coughs> that Israel is favoring Joseph over them, and they're not happy. And it gets worse when he gives them this coat. Um, it says that they begin to hate Joseph and were told that they could not speak a kind word to him. After the bad report, we don't really hear much of any, we does not really say that, oh, now they hated him. Maybe they thought, you know, he was young and they chalked it up to him being a young kid or, hey, you need to, hey, you need to kind of be on our side, things like that. <clears throat> However, once Israel puts Joseph above his brothers, do you remember Joseph was one of the younger kids and puts them above the older ones? That's where things get worse. Um, and they don't just turn against him. They're kind of seething, if you will, kind of seething, so to speak. It says that they could not speak a kind word to him. It means that, you know, I'm kind of trying to visualize this. They're constantly maybe putting him down or berating him or not wanting to deal with him or, you know, always saying things against him. Um, They're constantly treating him maybe with some level of hostility. Um, I would like to say I, I don't know how that would be for Joseph to be the favorite one, but I would be lying. Because in our family, I was my mom's favorite. And by the way, all my siblings know this and would admit that if you met them now. I was the favorite child, and why wouldn't I be, right? Of course, um, however, I'm really happy my siblings don't treat me the way um, Joseph's brothers treated him, because think about that, my, my, my brothers and sisters could have taken that same idea. You know why would why you know and, and you know and you get, when it regards to favoritism you know how much was I actually given it wasn't kind of like that it's just you always knew my mom kind of favored me over the other one, mm-hmm. but they could have, they could have held harbored some some anger against me, for that, um <clears throat> you know. So. You know and I find the other thing actually I have a note to myself sorry I was like is that the anger here is at Joseph, not at their father, which is the one that is favoring the younger son. It wasn't like Joseph was trying to do something to upstage his brothers. And I find that kind of interesting. Why, why are they hating his brother, the brother, as opposed to being angry with their father? Now, the reason I did that verse up there, went up there a little bit quick, I just wanted to say, I'm so happy that God loves us all, Equally. You know, it says there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, uh, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Next we see Joseph add to the conflict. Again, we're not sure what kind of character he is. You know, maybe he's a little naive. He starts telling him about these crazy dreams he has. And the first one is, is that he's, he has this dream where, there's these she's that they're, they're putting together, I guess, you know, the wheat or whatever it is, putting it together. And in the dream, suddenly his rises up and then the other brother's she's gather around and bow down to the one. Now, Joseph could have kept this to himself, but he didn't. He shares it with them. And you're always thinking, dude, don't you understand how they're going to respond? So that gets back to, where is this guy? Is he... Is he just, just naive and just kind of a, a, you know, just honest guy? Or is he, you know, is he a kid that's trying to stick it to his brothers and lord it over them? Um, so, and his brothers respond in kind of a rather harsh way. He says that, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And then it says, and then we are told... And they hated him all the more. And it makes you surprised how much more can they hate him? They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Now, Joseph, again, I guess not thinking, not realizing, not reading the room, decides to tell them about a second dream he had. And it says in this dream, he, he says this, Listen. I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. I don't understand. Why does he keep telling these stories? Like, this isn't interesting. These are like, what, what are you doing? You're trying to mess up the whole You don't want to make it worse? Uh, but this one he tells his father Israel, and Israel rebukes him. He responds, What is this dream that you had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come down, come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And then it says that the brothers were jealous of him, which actually kind of gets at the heart of this. They're not angry with their dad. They're jealous that their brother is getting more than they're getting. And and because of that, their anger goes towards their brother. But it also says that his father kept this in his mind. It makes you think that, Maybe Israel noticed something about the dream that that may have been more than just a regular dream. Now I want to take a step a step aside here in that, um, and that kind of look at this a little closer because I, there's something that kind of jumped out at me as I was kind of thinking about this passage and about how God was working within this working within the brothers' lives. See, so at this time. From their perspective, these are just some dreams that he has had, and he's sharing them. Now we learn later that Joseph has an ability to interpret dreams, and perhaps he thought he recognized something about them that may have been more significant. Now we also know that one of the primary ways that God communicates with people uh, in the Old Testament is through dreams and visions. I mean, there are times that He comes out and speaks to people, but dreams and vision is a very common way God. Um, uh, communicates to me we also know as you see that read ahead no spoil. you know trying to try to no spoiler alert we realize that these dreams are predicting the future right so God is giving you this dream he's predicting the future right now this last one's important pay attention to this point here he says follow my train of thought Israel cannot help himself but find favorites. He found favorites with his wife. He now has favorites with Joseph. Um, his brothers had nothing but had, had, what is it? hate or contempt in their hearts for Joseph. Um, I'm reminded of the passage that I like to quote from Genesis. This has become one of my more favorite ones, where it talks about with, with Noah and God talking to Noah, how he's not going to curse the ground because the man, even though every inclination of his heart is, uh, is evil from childhood, when I think of the brothers, So God knows what is going to happen next to Joseph. If God loves Joseph, why doesn't he do something to protect him? But he does not. In fact, he does the complete opposite. When thinking about this, there was one thought that went through my mind, and you may find this not as amusing as me, but why is God stirring the pot here, so to speak? It's like he's, he's making it worse, for Joseph. Why? Why is God making it worse? Alright, he could not give him the dreams, but he did. But we're gonna put a pin in that one and come back to that. Alright. Um, and I really the thing that I, I that comes back to me, and I'll just leave this thought and we'll come back to it later, is when you walk with the Lord, it is common to think that God will protect you from all harm. But that is not the case here, and I don't think it's the case always. So we're going to pick that up later. Next, we're going to talk about Joseph and his near-death experience. We're going to shift to what I would describe as a rather horrifying scene. Um, it's a horrifying account of what, what, uh, what happens to Joseph, J- Joseph alone with his brothers. And I always want to stress something with things like this is to try to visualize what's going on. I find oftentimes I will gloss over scary or brutal scenes in the Bible... Because it's words on the page, and I forget what I'm reading. I forget to think through, like, "Hey, wait a minute, did that really happen?" I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty bad. Um, I, you know, some years back, I want to say like 25, 30 years ago, I remember watching? They uh, started to make. Uh, I think it was TNT or one of the cable stations started to make some some uh, movies or shows on the Old Testament, and they were focusing on quality and trying and, and using some poetic um, license to kind of illustrate maybe what was going on at the time. And they were actually pretty good about it. And I remember seeing, you know, scenes from Joseph and everything, and it kind of brought home in a different way of me trying to visualize what was going on with Joseph. Well, it starts with this section. It starts with Israel sending Joseph to check on his brothers who were grazing in a, in a great distance. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I don't know if you know much about farming. All I really know is is when I think about this, they had flocks, they were grazing, and my only let's <laughs> talk about me, I grew up too much in the city um, is that uh, my only recollection is when I was in seminary, it was a big space and they had lots of grass and one of the things they would do once a year is they would have someone come with either goats or sheep or whatever it is and they would you know, have them eat the grass and they would pen them in and then the guy or the shepherd or whoever was, would move around and move the pen around to eat up the grass right, well I always figured this was a cheaper way to cut the lawn right also a little environmentally friendly, perhaps, right? You know, you're not, you're not running a lawnmower. And, you know, hey, they, they got to eat. You got to get rid of some grass. It works out, right? So I think that's kind of the idea here. Is, you know, they're going to where there's grass for them to eat. Um, of course, Israel is ignorant of how, either he's ignorant or he's not paying attention to how the brothers feel about Joseph. Because he sends him off. You know, hey, go check on your brothers, you know, to a faraway place where I can't see what's going on. <clears throat> And a Joseph, though, can't help himself either, right? Now, again, I don't know if he's naive or he's trying to stick at his brother, but he wears that stupid coat when he goes, right? I mean, like, hey, brothers, how's it going? Remember, I got the coat, right? You know, I mean, maybe he's just excited. Hey, you know, maybe he's excited. Hey, I get to wear my coat. Um, so Joseph arrives where his brothers are supposed to be. He's walking around this field, and he's trying to look for him. And a guy comes up to him and says, hey, you know, what's going on? Joseph says, well, my brothers were supposed to be grazing some flocks here. And the guy says, oh, you know, yeah, I I heard about it. They were here, and I heard that they were going to go to this other place. Now, it's interesting how we don't... I guess the question that comes to my mind is like, why do we hear this story? Why does it matter that some guy came along and told Joseph, really, they're not here, they're over there, right? Who cares, right? Uh, Why is it there? Plus, how is it that he happens to hear where they're going, and then he happens to be there again where Joseph is walking to tell him, yeah, I heard about them over here. Now, some people have speculated that this wasn't just an average person, and maybe it wasn't a person at all. Maybe this was a messenger of God that came down to help guide Joseph's along the way. Um, of course, then I start thinking about what I said before, and I think, why is God intent on sending Joseph to his doom, right? Again, we're going to put a pit in that, okay? Um, so next, we lead to the, the terrible climax. Joseph is walking towards his brother, and they can see him off the distance because, you know, he's wearing that coat, right? It's like, put a siren on his head, here comes Joseph, all right? Um, and so, um, what happens next actually kind of really gets to me a lot. I, when I read this, I just—it's I, I, hard. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not that type of person. Or you know, I—I I, I love my brother. I—I I, I just don't get this. Um, he says we learn that when when they see him coming, they begin to plot to kill him. Like that's just that really—that's—that's that's how you're doing. And so we can't, I mean, you can't press past it. Think about the hatred that's cursing through their, brains, their veins that would cause them to want to kill their brother. Now, and it kind of got me thinking a little bit about the, actually, you know, the criminal justice system. Um, and how, uh, in the criminal justice system, one of the things we learned that, you know, every state's a little different in how they do them, but there's usually like, when it comes to kind of what they call homicide, that's the killing of someone, um, uh, uh, by somebody else they usually kind of fall into four categories uh, one is you know what they call accidental homicide that's you know I'm driving down the street driving the speed limit somebody act, steps in front of me, I hit him and they kill him I haven't done anything wrong then they have what they call kind of intentional homicide crimes of passion this is where you know somebody tells somebody oh I slept with your wife and they in a fit of rage you know pull out a knife and stab and kill someone uh, and these are considered levels, degrees of severity, right? And then they have kind of where, and this is just my second-degree murder. They might call it something different, but it's something where people's act- actions are so um, reckless that it causes the death. They're not intending to kill anybody, but, you know, when you drive, you know, you drive your car into a McDonald's, how can you not know that you were going to kill people? And then you get the coup de grace, the last one, first-degree murder, Right? The, you know, the malice of forethought, right? They, 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 they've thought through, they've planned, and they're going to kill someone. And that's what we have here. I mean, it's the highest level. They're intent on killing their brother. And we, in verse 19, we see how they respond. And you can kind of get a little picture into their mind. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him in this cistern and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes to his dreams. Boy, my goodness. But then Reuben steps in. Reuben hatches a plan to rescue him. So he convinces them not to kill him, just throw him in the cistern, thinking later he'll pull him back out. So who is Reuben? He's the oldest. He's the one that, you know, within the culture would kind of should be the leader of the brothers. He's the one that would get a larger inheritance when the dad passed away. However, it wasn't like that for Reuben. You know, again, a dysfunctional family, as we all know, He is not seen to have a lot of authority because he probably should have had a little bit more authority. To say, look, we're not going to do that. We're not going to. But he didn't. Instead, he has to think of a plot of a way to sneak Joseph away. Right? Of course, you don't see him running out to meet Joseph, telling him, "Go back as quickly as you can." But why is it this way for Reuben? Why? What has happened in Reuben's life? that has put him in this place. And there's two major things that kind of come to mind. Um, one involves his sister, Diana, or Dinah. This was, you know, in the family there was, uh, um, Leah had four or five children, uh, and then later had Diana, which was a sister. And, and Dinah, Dinah was Reuben's full sister. He wasn't a half-sister, uh, Both same father, same mother. And in the previous chapter, you, if you read through that, you learn that uh, the sister Dinah was raped uh, by the son of the king of Shechem. They kind of make a deal where where you know Israel's family and the, the city are going to come together as one, and, and you know, and, and they're kind of going to be there together, and then uh, Dinah would be able to be married to uh, the son who who raped her, which is always kind of interesting when you think about that. <clears throat> however, um, uh, <clears throat> however, uh, two of the brothers, Levi and Simeon, don't think this is right. No, this can't be. We need retribution. Uh, and one of the one of the, the deals they made with the uh, with this town was in coming together. They all the males had to be circumcised. And so when they were healing. Reuben and Simeon, or, I'm sorry, Simeon and Levi attack the town and kill all the males. You know, again, let's not brush over that. That's kind of brutal when you think about it. I mean, really brutal. I mean, they actually went and killed every single one of them. And really, then they, you know, they took the people, that, the women and children and all the stuff, and it just, is that really better? I mean, why wouldn't they just attack the guy who did it? But, you know. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) The thing is, Reuben didn't seem to do anything. We don't really see that he does anything. And and Dinah was his full sister. It was Simeon and Levi who were actually the second and third sons of Israel. It wasn't Reuben who was the oldest. It is speculated that it should have been Reuben. Um, As a result authority perhaps maybe comes into question. The second issue he runs into was a verse Jim mentioned, and it's kind of an innocuous verse, because you're reading along, and then all of a sudden this verse appears, and then it goes on to something else. Like, why, why do we need to know this information, right? It says, there it says, while Israel was living in the region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. Right? And so, um, And it makes you wonder, like, why is this here? I mean, is it just to show us how truly dysfunctional they are? Um, And I also find it interesting that Israel didn't seem to do anything like this. You know, and depending on what you read, sometimes she's called a concubine, sometimes she's called his wife, and, you know, it's the whole story with uh, having children. You know... But yet again, is that, yet when thinking about it in the context of Reuben's authority as an older brother, it seems to imply again his authority is tarnished. When Israel was living in the region, okay, actually I read that past, sorry. All right. It makes you wonder what type of person Reuben was. You know, was he a lazy guy? Did he rely on the fact I'm the oldest? Um, maybe he was a bit of a volanderer. Uh, nonetheless, his credibi- he had a credibility problem with his brothers. So next we see the horror play out for Joseph. He broaches his brothers. They grab him, rip off the coat, throw him in the cistern. And, you know, that's, what, that's all it says. But if I'm thinking this through, what would happen with such angry people, you think that's all that would happen at that moment? I'm sure that they all took a shot at him too. In fact, they might have beaten him up really good before they tossed him into the cistern. Um, And I think about how, you know, they said probably really terrible things. And this was a young kid. He was defenseless, and he had no one to stand up for him. I was wondering what went through Joseph's head at this moment when they were treating this. Perhaps he, um, the fear of him turning on him, perhaps he thought maybe they will let him go. Um, But after they do this, it says they sat down to eat. Can you imagine that? They beat up their brother, toss him aside, and decide to have a nice meal. Um, now, I mentioned that show that I, that I saw before, and I think this really brought home kind of the, the terror, the, 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 how this whole scene plays out is in the, in the show, again, using poetic license, they had the Joseph character calling out to his brothers as they were eating. And I always think about what is going through your head and you're hearing your brother, your own flesh and blood call out to you and how you can just sit there and continue to eat. Like what kind of people were this? Moving to kind of our last section, it's Judah Judah and the road to redemption. Um, Next story shifts to Judah. Now, who is he? He's the fourth son of Israel, right? You had Reuben, you had Levi and Simeon. I can't remember who was second or third. And then you had Judah. It, uh, it's time for him to step up for leadership, I guess. Maybe he thought it was, well, you know, I'm, I, Simeon and Levi did their thing. Now it's my turn. I don't know. Uh, he's the, uh, now, we know that Judah's offspring becomes the tribe of Judah. Uh, in addition, from the tribe of Judah, we have some significant individuals. Perhaps you've heard of them. You have David and Jesus, right? The Lord. Uh, you know, David, a man after God's own heart, who also did kill someone, too, though, so... I don't know, maybe it's in the genes. Um, You would think that God would want to make Judah this upstanding guy. You know, he's going to be from the Lord, you know, from whom the Lord, you know, comes from. But it's actually the complete opposite, which I think is a testament to the power of God. Now, in considering what to do with Joseph, Judah comes up with an idea. He says, Judah said to his brothers, what will, we, what will we gain if we kill our own brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, which is interesting. Ishmaelites is, you know, actually would be family, right? An extended family through uh, Ishmael. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him after all. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So in one thing you can think, oh, how nice of him. He saved his life. But then you kind of you think, he wanted to kill Joseph, but he figures, well, he's family, so let's just sell him into slavery, right? That's better. And you think, well, isn't Judah a great guy? He has such a heart of compassion. They then take, Judah and sla- take Joseph and sell him into slavery, um, where he will be, and it'll be many, now this is the other thing, it'll be many, many years until they see Joseph again. You know, almost into decades. Now, Reuben was away when the sale went down. We're not sure where he was or why he needed to be there. But again, Reuben was not there for a critical moment. Um, he looks into the sister and sees that Joseph is gone and tears his clothes. I think he may even think he, they thought he killed him. To cover up the treachery, you know, they kill an aunt, they sacrifice a goat. Um, and it, there could be some symbolism in that, in that put blood on the, on the coat, bring it to their dad and say, look, we found this coat. And he, you know, Israel mourns the death of Jacob and, and, and his, his, his family has an inability to console Israel. I mean, he's like, I'm going to go to my deathbed mourning my son. You know, and you wonders, you know, perhaps they realize that, that that kind of settled in them. Like, you know, like what, what have we done? On the other hand, Joseph is taken to Egypt, sold to Potiphar, as this is going on. Moving into chapter 38, we're still focused on Judah, and we learn about his family. And you kind of see, it occurred to me as I was reading this, because it starts talking about his wife and having three kids, we're not getting decades here. You know, Joseph's not around, and you always think, you know, you read the, when you read about that, think about that. It kind of doesn't always give you specific dates always, right? You know, how long was he in prison? How long did he work for Potiphar? He couldn't, you know, think about that as Joseph, you know, struggled through all these things. You know, it wasn't a good, wasn't a good life for a while. Um, Judah leaves his family to go stay with his friend Herod, it says. He meets the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. So he marries this daughter. Actually, we never learn the name of his wife. I don't know why. I always feel like, well, why don't you just tell us what her name is? I guess it wasn't important. We just know that she was the daughter of Shua. Uh, And then over subsequent years, he has three kids. Ur, uh, they tell us, Ur, Onan, and Selah. Uh, When Ur was of age, Judah finds, as is the custom, he's got to go find his son, a wife. And he finds a woman named Tamar. The Bible tells us that Judah's firstborn, Ur, er, um, <clears throat> is, is it's the words are wicked in the Lord's sight. Now we don't know what that means, like in this context, how wicked was he? But because he was, God killed him. Now, as the custom of the time is, Tamar would be given to the second the the, the, the next brother in line, and in this case it was Onan, so that he can have relations with her. Uh, I feel like we're talking a lot about sex today, but it seems we are. He has relations with her so that she, she can give birth to a son so that would be like his, the brother having a child or a son or a child, right? Um, and this is considered the duty of the brother to do this. You know, this is what you do. It's, it's a big part of the culture. It's, it's, it's considered the right thing to do. Because Onan knew that the child would not be his, he does not follow through with what is required. Now, we got children in the room here, so I, 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 you know, I'm not going to go through the the details. The Bible puts it in there, right, about what happens. He kind of pulls out at the last minute. And sometimes it surprises me how R-rated the Bible is. Um, This is what was, but the Bible tells us this was considered wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put Him to death, and I I find that fascinating. Like this is something that the Lord insisted on having. Actually, it becomes part of the law later on, right? And the Lord saw this um, as wicked. Now, looking at these both situations, I wonder what type of wickedness pushes the Lord to put someone to death. I don't know. It's just kind of spec. You know, it rolls around in my head. Something that is speculated though with Onan, one of the thoughts was, is that he thought, well, wait a minute, my older brother is gone. Now, I'm the older brother. I'm going to get the inheritance, and I don't want to share it with anybody else. And that's why he did what he did. Now, Judah fears for his third son, because he thinks that somehow ter- tomorrow must be cursed, right? And I guess that gets back to his level of spirituality. He's, he's falling prey to the things of the world, or the, or the thinking of the world. I also find, which is very typical, which is unfortunate, is that the woman gets blamed, for this, right? It's not, you know, it could be something else. It must be her. Um, He tells Tamar, why don't you go live as a widow, and when my Selah, my youngest, is old enough, you know, you can, um, you know, I will give you to him. But he had no intention of doing that. After many years, Judah's wife dies, and after a time of grieving, he goes to his friend Harrigan, the guy that came up at the beginning who clearly is not a good influence on him. When Tamar hears of Judah uh, is on his way, she devises this plot to ensnare ensnare him because she knew that he was not going to keep his promise. She removes the widow clothes, puts on a veil, stands near the road. Judah sees her and thinks that she's a prostitute and approaches her to make a deal to, I will just use these words, relieve his tensions, so to speak right? Um, Again, like, I know it's like so pornographic, right? Uh, They agree that he will give a young goat, but since he does not have it with him, she demands that he give him like this, I think it's this staff, and then this, um, uh, what was it, a cord and a staff and a seal. What's interesting is he doesn't recognize who she is. I always think back to his dad, right, marriage night. He didn't recognize who Leah was, I guess, like father, like son. Um, After Tamar becomes pregnant, sometime later, Judah tries to send the goat to her. Uh, The friend kind of tries to find her because he wants his staff and his seal back. Uh, And then uh, his friend is told, well, there there was never a shrine prostitute there. We don't know what you're talking about. Three months later, it's clear that she's pregnant Clear that she doesn't have a husband. Clearly that she violated the law. Judah learns about this. And Judah, showing forth his great character, right, responds in this way. Bring her out and have her burned to death. You know, when you think about it, it's like, what is he saying? I guess it's okay for him to sow his wild oats, but for her, oh no, right? I mean, the hypocrisy just screams out there but not only does he want her to put to death he wants her to be burned to death what kind of person demands that what kind of person is this um you know when we see this kind of treatment too you know and and a lot of times it is treatment of differently of the women than in a man which is a bad thing we saw that you see that in the new testament with the woman caught in adultery right they bring the woman to jesus but they don't bring the guy right you know? And so, um, you know, it's it just kind of how it plays out. And you see it even in this, in, in parts of uh, this world where, uh, like say, it, it seemed to be, in some people's mind, it is more noble to kill a daughter that's been violated than to go after the perpetrator. It's kind of a, I don't really understand it, but that just means that somehow people think. However, Tamar was much more shrewd. Or shrewder, I guess is the word. I, I guess they, my, my grammar corrected me. The correct pronunciation is much shrewder than Judah. When, he, when she's brought out, she sends a message to Judah and says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. The Bible then says, Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her my own son, Selah. She gives birth to two sons, Perez and Zerah. And Perez is actually in the line. So Tamar and Perez are in the line of Jesus. I always think that's just a testament to God, saying, look, I can take really messy things and make them better, Um, right? So kind of to summarize some things here, here. when I kind of look at these passages, I see like a story of redemption, particularly with Judah. Now, I don't I don't I don't um, <clears throat> I don't think when I until I was really looking I don't think I realized what a bad guy Judah was. I'm mean, like, seriously, he was kind of a bad guy. Um, he didn't have a lot of redeeming value. However, we see at the end he seems to get it right. We see a change of heart. And you will actually see that play out even more in the story of Joseph. You see a guy that's a different guy at that point. Um, a guy that's willing to now give him his own life for the sake of another one of his brothers, which he would have never done before. Um, we also see, to a lesser degree, um, the story of within uh, Reuben. And I realize this might be a little bit of a stretch, um, but I part of me thinks that the events of his life kind of, Become clear that he needs to clean up his act well, but you know, really, the entire book of Genesis. Now, when I first talked about Genesis, um, um, hold on, I want to make sure when I first talked about the 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 book of Genesis. I mentioned how it's the foundational book. It's, it's what we base everything on. It starts God's plan. But it, it, more and more, I see it more also as a book of redemption. We see this in the patriarchs. They start where they're less than stellar individuals. But as we see their lives go on, God gets them to where they want to be. And that's a lesson for us because that's how God deals with us. We're over here not so stellar. And I know sometimes we can beat ourselves up, oh, I should be better. And I, I think God sometimes has more patience with us than we have with ourselves. He, don't worry, we'll get you there. We'll get you to where you should be. The second thing I've, uh, I've noticed is it's kind of a picture in God's interaction with us. Um, I, was, I was in an auto shop about a week ago and I heard a couple of women talking and one of them goes, don't worry, God has a plan for your life. And he's, she goes, well, yeah, I know. I just don't know what it is. And I think the implication in that is that somehow God's got this specific plan for them. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I've been uh, thinking a lot about this idea about about the idea of, and I preached about this a few, uh, some earlier this year about the Holy Spirit and, and, and how God maybe interacts in our life and how the Holy Spirit's focused on on really more who we are as a person, maybe not so much on what we do in an everyday life. And so I kind of contemplate that thought. Well, does God really have this specific plan? Maybe, you know, maybe it's, he's focused on me. Yeah, he wants me to be a good, the person he wants to be. But as, you know, what I do in an everyday life, he's, he's, he's letting me have authority over that. And we really see God wants us to be part of the plan. So he gives us great discretion to make decisions, to do things. Um, actually when I was thinking about more and more about this I thought of um, you know, if I could go back I might want to share this with them and was, which is like look this is what God's plan for you and it's the plan for all of us love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself right Matthew go make disciples of all, all, of all people and be his witness that's really the plan for everything so if you're struggling with God's plan start with that and then I think things will kind of fall into place after that right um, but moving on to our back to our passage is um, really in God's interaction. And if the uh, worship team wants to come forward, when I look at this 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 passage, I, I start to think of where do I see God interjecting Himself in their lives, right? And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I see four places. Now God may very well interject us. I just don't know it, but I just. Four obvious places. One is the two dreams, and the other is the killing of the two two children, right? For the most part, it almost appears that God lets things happen. He doesn't make Israel be a guy that has favorites. He doesn't force Joseph to be naive. He doesn't cause the brothers to hate Joseph. He did not make Judah wicked, he used those things about, you know, about them and shaped what he wanted to be done. So it's like, here they are, and then he says, I need to get Joseph to Egypt. I'm going to give him a couple of dreams, and they're going to hate him even more. And then they're going to beat him up and put him in the cistern. Now, it sucks for Joseph, right? sucks for Joseph. That actually comes back to my, my third, and I have oh. Right. um come to my third, and I'll have one more after this, is that being part of God's plan does not mean it will be easy or without pain. As we see, God has a bigger plan for Joseph, and you'll see that play out. Um, it appears that God favors Joseph. Um, God <coughs> often means, uh, <coughs> you know, God, being favored by God means you receive the choice jobs. But you know, those aren't always the easy ones. And just a couple of examples to give you. Joseph, he was favored by God, as we'll see. He gets to go sit in slavery for a long time, right? Not an easy life. Now, it gets better. I get it. Eventually, he's an easier life. Isaiah, favored, but obviously favored by God. I always laugh when I think of, you know, that conversation Isaiah had with God one day when God said, I got a message I a message want to give. Great, I'm good at that. Take off your clothes. I want you to walk around for three years naked. You know, and I'm thinking Israel's going, Lord, can we revisit the part about me just talking about it, right? But God wanted to illustrate. And they always loved the story of Hosea. I always think of Hosea just wanted to meet a nice Jewish girl, settle down on a nice little farm, and God comes to him, I've got a plan for, I have the girl for you. Oh, great, Lord, I really want to meet this nice girl. Where is she? Over there. Oh, yeah, I, I know that girl, Rachel, she's a good, no, no, not that one. Over. Oh, you mean Sarah over there? No, no, no that one. Oh, it couldn't be that one, Lord, that's a prostitute. No, that's the one. I want you to marry her, and by the way, she's going to cheat on you, and you're going to accept her back. Uh, Lord, why am I doing this? Because I need to illustrate to the world how much I love them. They're the prostitute, and you're taking my role of loving them. And again, he thinks, Lord, why can't I just tell them that? Why do I have to illustrate it? Those are the good jobs for the people that are most favored by God. And so when you say that, don't be surprised if life gets a little more difficult when you're used by God. And the last thing is God's timing, patience. I mentioned this before. God is content with things taking time. Um, Joseph is in Egypt many years, if not decades. Um, his pain, he's content with things taking time, and I, I think I mentioned this before. I think a lot of times he does that for us. Because it takes us time to get to where that God wants us to be. That is all.